Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This week, I was, uh, I was reading in my personal worship uh, along with our, in, in line with the community Bible reading. That's the, uh, the, the, the program that we gave to you at the beginning of the ministry year where we're systematically working our way through the Bible over about three years. And it allows us to read the Bible at a leisurely pace and manageable chunks and journal our way through scripture. And it's a great thing to do if you're not doing it. This week we were uh, in Isaiah and I came to Isaiah chapter 49. That's that uh, passage that begins talking about the suffering servant, uh, the Messiah that we just heard the choir sing about. And one of the things that stood out to me in Isaiah chapter 49 was how he was being described how he would, he would take those who were prisoners, and of course he's talking about the people of God who are in spiritual darkness, and, and he will bring them out of spiritual darkness, he'll bring them out of darkness, and he'll set their feet on highways that will carry them easily through the deserts and through the wilderness, and, and all of these, this beautiful language about what the suffering servant would do through his life and through his death. And, but then there are, the, there are these lines about how the suffering servant would for God's people, he would bring them their bread and their water, their food, and they would no longer be hungry and thirsty. And as I read those lines, of course, I'm thinking about the message here, give us this day our daily bread. And I started to think about how often in the Bible, food is associated with God and his interactions with the people of God and with humanity and water and, and the significance that food and water have within the overall story of redemption as God interacts with his people. And it's in the opening pages of the Bible, right? The book of Genesis, you have Adam and Eve in the garden and they don't have to work for their food. I mean, there's just food everywhere, right? They can, they can grab food, they can eat all they want and it, they don't get fat. How's that for paradise, right? I mean, that's awesome. And, and, and the ground is just giving them all the food they could handle. And then when they sin, and how do they sin? Right? There's food. They take the forbidden food and they eat the forbidden fruit. And again, there's significance there. And then how are they cursed? One of the parts of the curse is that the ground, they'll now have to work and labor and the ground will no longer willingly give out its food, right? They'll have to sweat it. And then you go to the book of Exodus and you find the, the people in the wilderness and they're grumbling against God and they're idealizing their time in Egypt when they were slaves. And they said, you brought us out here to starve. And so God, to show how absolutely incredible he is towards his people. He says, all right, in the morning, take out your baskets and gather all you want. I'm gonna give you your food. And he gives them this thing called manna. And we don't know what it tastes like, but the descriptions that he gives make it clear that God gave them dessert for breakfast. How awesome is that, right? And they could gather all they wanted, but if they, or that they needed, but if they tried to hoard it, it would rot. And it would turn with, filled with maggots. And, and he was teaching them, depend on me, I will give you everything you need. And he made it taste like dessert. And he does this for 40 years every day in the wilderness. 
And, and, and it's just throughout the Bible, you know, the, the Lord is my shepherd, where does he lead me? He leads me into good pastures where there's food and there's water. And the, the miracle that Jesus does that's repeated throughout all of the Gospels, the only miracle that's in all of the Gospels is Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then you, you have this image that's all through the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, the book of Revelation, that is describing the eternal state. And the image, the continual theme and metaphor that is used is this great feast of God. And of course, in the Old Testament, we had a meal, the, the Passover, that pointed to what God had done. And we take the Lord's Supper, what God has done and what God is going to do at this great feast where for all of eternity, we're celebrating with God food. It's everywhere in the Bible. In fact, when you go to the Old Testament, you almost cannot go to a chapter, hardly, where it's not mentioned, and it's either representing how God is blessing or he's cursing and judging people via food. So we come to this simple, what, uh, seven-word petition, the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, and from our American perspective, with grocery stores that are filled with food, it's tempting to just kind of gloss how, how simplistic is this petition. But folks, this petition is anything but simplistic. There is great significance. I would suggest that there are layers of significance and meaning and application here for us in this petition. The, the primary meaning, it's, it's wonderful that God has given it to us. Remember, this, this prayer starts with Jesus teaching us to pray our Father, our dearest Father, our Abba Father, our dearest Father, something that was new. People didn't pray like that. That was considered blasphemous, actually, in the Hebrew world to refer to God in this manner, our dearest Father. And, and you think about it, those of you who had a dear father, a loving, caring father, or loving, caring mother, or, or you have been a loving and caring father or mother, isn't it true that the center of your world seems to be your children? I mean, you, for, especially when they're little and they're in your household, they always have your attention, even when they're not in sight there's a part of your mind and your heart that is thinking about them. They have your attention. That's all there is to it. And everything about their life really depends on you. And when you are a first new parent and that baby comes up, many a dad, when I used to go to all the births when I was a pastor of a smaller church, and I would watch the face of new dads. And it was always kind of, interesting because I knew what they were thinking. All of a sudden, the gravity of the situation would sink in about what they were now responsible for. And sometimes, guys, the blood would just leave their face, right? And you know, when you think about that, how a loving father takes care of the needs of his children. And, and our dearest father is this omniscient, omnipotent God who we're praying to. And this petition, the primary meaning is, is relying upon that, pointing to that, that just like 
your children, when you were raising them or you are raising them or you were being raised, you were the center of your father, your mother's attention. Their needs are your central concern and meeting those needs so that they can thrive and live life well. Guess what? We have an omniscient, omniscient, omnipotent father. He can see all of us at the same time, do everything that needs to be done in the universe, yet he is aware of the most minute need in our lives. How awesome is that? And this petition is telling us that because we have a father like that, who loves us like this, who is this dear and this gracious, we are to bring to him all of our daily needs because he cares. He's here for us. Now, in the early church, it's interesting. The great church fathers, they actually struggled seeing this petition in that way. They felt that that was too mundane to see, give us this day our daily bread, to actually be referring to bread, to food, to shelter, to clothes, whatever. Uh, No, it it had to be more than that. And, And you can kind of understand why they would feel this way, because this petition is coming after three petitions that are just majestic in their scope, right? I mean, the first three are, hallowed be your name right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, everything that has come so far has been focusing, and the focus of it has been on God and and, and only God being able to do this to magnify and to manifest his glory here on earth as it has been in heaven. And, And with this preceding this petition and the majesty and the awesome scope of those first three petitions and, and all that they entail. Now you're going to talk about food, daily stuff. That's kind of mundane. That, that's like it's coming out of left field. But, you know, so much so that they, they tended to spiritualize this. Like St. Augustine in his sermon on this, he gives like a, a nod and a wink to the idea that this includes our daily food. He gives like one sentence to, you know, okay, it, it can mean your, your meal. But then he goes on and on and on and he spiritualizes it and, and he, he, he equates it to the Lord's Supper. Now, when he says, give us this day our daily bread, he means the Lord's Supper, and he extends it even to the preaching of God's word and the singing of hymns. And I mean, it's everything because it's all about spiritual food that we need as we walk this Christian life, right? And, and Augustine is typical of the early church fathers, but what they're missing here is that Jesus is not coming from left field. And in and, and the previous petitions, there is an earthiness to them. If you, if you remember when we were starting this series, I told you that the Lord's Prayer is the central point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And at the center of the Lord's Prayer is a single clause. And everything revolves around this single clause, which means the sermon revolves around this single clause. And what is that clause? On earth as it is in heaven. So even as we come to these first three petitions that we've covered and all of their majesty, when we're talking about hallowed be your name, it's on where? 
earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so for Jesus to now talk about our earthly needs, it's not like he's stripping the gears and doing a complete 180 on us. He's had earthly emphasis going on, but the difference was is that it was God manifesting his glory. And so it was words like thy will and thy kingdom and thy name or your kingdom, your will, your name be hallowed. Now he changes the language. It's us and our and we. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. You see, there's a, there's a collective language now. And the emphasis, instead of being on God manifesting his glory, it's something that only he can do. Now the emphasis is the practical aspects of God's children living for his glory here on earth while we wait in this tension of the now and the not yet, as we wait for Christ to return and to establish his kingdom in all of its glory, these petitions are meant to help see the kingdom of God grow in us and through us so that God is glorified in our lives as he is growing the kingdom here on earth and bringing it to fulfillment. In the last century, the great English pastor and scholar who preached through the Sermon on the Mount, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote this about these three petitions at the end of the Lord's Prayer. He says, our whole life is found there in those three petitions, and that is what makes this prayer so utterly amazing. In such a small compass, our Lord has covered the whole life of the believer in every respect. The body is remembered, the soul is remembered, the spirit is remembered, and that is the whole of man. So we have to ask the question, what does Jesus mean when he says, give us this day our daily bread? That word daily, the underlying Greek word, is, uh, only appears once in all of Greek literature. It's here. It's the Greek word epiousios. Um, The only other place it kind of appears, part of the word, most of the word appears, and it was discovered in the last century on a fragment of papyrus. And what's interesting about that fragment is it was like the equivalent of a grocery list. Uh, uh, And it was like the rations of what uh, a soldier or an individual in the ancient world needed to survive for that day. And so that's where you can kind of see the connection here, that with this word daily, the best understanding is the day ahead. Give us today the bread that we need for the day ahead. And so if you're praying this in the morning, you're talking about the day you're in. If you're praying it at night, you're talking about the next 24 hours, the next day. Give us this day our daily bread. The word bread is the common word, artos, about a hundred times or so in the New Testament. Most of the time, It refers to a loaf of bread. You know, your wonder bread with the little red and blue and green yellow circles in the plastic wrap, okay? Or, you know, that's that's what it is, a loaf of bread. But not always. Many times, 
The word artos, bread, has a different significance. So for example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we have Paul giving instructions to that church where people were being lazy. They weren't working and they were mooching off of the charity of other Christians. And he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their artos, their own living. And so what he's getting at here is this artos is, is bigger than just a loaf of, of you know, wonder bread or whatever, okay? It, it, reco- it refers to everything. And, and I would suggest everything that, that you need to, to have life and to thrive in life. And I would suggest to you that this is what Jesus is getting at in this fourth petition. He has something more in mind here than just a simple loaf of bread. If that's all it is, this petition really doesn't relate too much to us and to the different cultures of the world. What if he had been in the Far East? Think he would have said bread? Probably not. He would have said rice. Uh, why? Because in the Far East, the staple item that kind of represents life and what you need for the sustenance of life, rice. In the Mideast, it was bread. You know, back in the 1800s, the mid-1800s, Paxton just came back from Ireland. The staple, if, he, if he, Jesus had been in the middle of the 1800s, it would have been a potato. And if you know your history, in the mid-1800s, there was a a blight upon the potato crops of Europe, but it particularly hit Ireland hard. And from about 1840 to 1850, almost a million and a half people died from famine in Ireland because their, their potato crop was devastated and an equal number emigrated and left the island, most of whom came to the United States of America and the great Irish potato famine. And then the country lost 25% of their population in about five to 10 years, all because of the potato. It was that important to their life and the well-being of their life. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's speaking to everything that we need to live life well. And the, during the Reformation, uh, you had different groups write catechisms, like the Westminster Confession of Faith, the that makes up part of our heritage and our constitution of our church or the Heidelberg catechisms. And, and, and a catechism was a question-answer format where the people of God were educated on the Word of God and on doctrine and what things meant. And every catechism went through the Lord's Prayer and explained it line by line. And so they would ask, what is, what is meant by the daily bread? Uh, Martin Luther, he wrote one for the Lutheran church. And it's interesting how he answers what is meant by daily bread. And you see the scope of this. Daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and jaguars, and the like. Okay, we'll leave out the jaguars. That's probably not necessity. But you get the idea. I mean, that's huge. What a list. 
I mean, that just covers the scope of everything, doesn't it, right? And so Jesus is getting at something here with this request. And there's some, there's some gospel applications here that we've got to, to tease out and own this morning. And they're good for us to see. The first of what, which is this, it's God's will that we bring to him the smallest to the greatest physical needs, the things that we need to, to live life well, to thrive. It's God's will that we do that. Isn't it wonderful that, that we can bring any, nothing is too small. Nothing is too small. And we can pray and we can bring that in all sincerity to God. I, I was on I-95 Friday morning and I was running late to an appointment. And uh, I got past 192 and you know, I, at that very moment, my doggone vehicle lets me know that I need gas. I don't have plenty of gas. I don't know if somebody stole it overnight or what, but, but my, my vehicle in particular, just the first vehicle, normally, you know how it is, when your car lets you know that you need gas, you normally have what, you know, 40, 60 more miles? Not this one. And this one, when the, when the, when the gauge hits red, you're dead. I found that out the hard way twice now. I haven't even owned the car a year, and I found it out twice the hard way. My wife mocks me mercilessly because of this, right? You know, with sentences about, you know, thick-headed men running things to the end, you know, all, all that stuff, right? And all of a sudden, oh, no. And I'm in the, that part, you know, because Pineda Causeway, they don't have gas stations anywhere on the exit. And I got to get all the way up to Vieira, and I'm thinking, oh, I am, I am on. Not only is it on red, it's past red. It's below red. And I look at this thing, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, I am dead. And, you know, I just start right there. I said, Lord, you know how important this meeting is? I, I, I don't have time for this. Please, let me get to this meeting. And, you know, the thing went for 10 more miles. I got to my meeting, and I had enough to get to the gas station afterwards. Now, you can say, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. No, God cares about my little needs. And he cares about your little needs. But let's understand that even though we can bring our physical needs to him, and he wants us to bring his physical needs to us, this petition is not a blank check to ask for the desires of our flesh. It's the needs of our lives, what we need to thrive. You know, there's a, there's a verse, Psalm 37, 4, that so many today have taken out of context. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You can turn on the television maybe later this afternoon, and somebody will stand up there, and they will basically say this verse and say, you know, you worship God, and you live right, and by the way, you send me a little money in the, in the mail, and guess what? You can, you can ask God whatever the desires of you want that black 2018 Mercedes with the tan leather that's soft as a baby's bottom, you can have it because God will give you the desires of your heart. This petition is not carte blanche to ask God to fulfill the desires of our flesh. It is carte blanche to ask God to meet the littlest to the greatest needs that we have in our lives to thrive, to live life well. Another application, praying this petition daily, it reminds us of our complete lack of self-sufficiency and our absolute dependency upon God. Every time we pray this petition, we're reminding ourselves of how completely insufficient we are 
for anything and how absolutely dependent we are upon God. When I was a kid, I would come home from church on Sundays, and the two things I looked forward to was Mama's fried chicken. She always fried fried chicken. Colonel Sanders tried to get a recipe, and she wouldn't give it, so he made up his own. It's a cheap second, you know. Uh, that's maybe an exaggeration. Uh, and I loved to watch Tarzan. It was on every Sunday afternoon. Loved Tarzan. I watched it religiously. I watched it back when it had Johnny Weisbuehler on it. I watched it when it was the, the, uh, the other guy, you know, the always, I think they probably put tanning, they had to because they always looked perfectly bronzed, you know. Anyway, I watched them all religiously. Loved Tarzan, right? So in the 90, 80s and 90s and even recently when they've come out with Tarzan movies, guess what? I'm there, I'm watching them. And what's been interesting in the movies is that they've done something that the series didn't do. They always go back to when Tarzan was a baby. Somehow, they let you see how he got involved with the apes. You know, and his parents died, they're shipwrecked, and they're in the jungle, and the, the parents die, and you know, the big bad king of the apes wants to kill Tarzan, but the, the loving mother ape comes in and rescues Tarzan and starts raising him as his own. You better nod at me or I'm going through all the movies by me, and we're gonna be here till three o'clock in the afternoon. You better start nodding, okay? You get it, right? All right. And, and what's interesting and what stands out in those movies is, you know, within a couple of years, here's Tarzan, you know, he's still being carried around on the mother ape's arm, you know, still wearing his pampers in the jungle, totally dependent upon the mother ape, whereas her other little baby ape that she had when Tarzan, now he's two years old and he's looking at Tarzan like he'd make a nice snack, right? Because in two years, the baby ape, he's totally self, he doesn't need mama anymore, right? He's over here swinging, he's doing all of his thing, he's living ape life to the, to the nth degree, right? You see, what's fascinating about that is it reveals how absolutely vulnerable in all of creation humans are. We, we, are, we come into this world completely dependent upon our parents. Unlike other animals in the animal kingdom, you know, within a very short period of time, they're, they're on their own, right? You know, Bambi, she, mom leaves him, you, you run from those guys with the guns, you're on your own, right? After a, a year or so. But humans, I mean, good night, do we ever get rid of these guys? You know? <laughs> and now we have a thing called failure to launch. That's how bad it is, right? And so they just, they, they're totally dependent. And, and then there's of us who've walked with our parents, you know, through the last years of their life. You know what you see? As they, as they decline in their last years, total dependence to do everything for them. That's what makes it so hard because maybe their minds haven't gone, but their bodies have, and they remember how they used to be self-sufficient, and now they can't do the most basic things, and it, it drives them crazy, can't handle it. See, something happens, and it happened to Tarzan, right? You know, he became a teenager. He, he went through puberty, and all of a sudden, he's having muscles, and even the king of the jungle and the king of the, the apes realized that a human teenager, when you let him behind the wheel of a tree vine, you better be very, very afraid. And they start running from Tarzan. And he becomes very self-sufficient. And pretty soon he becomes king of the beast. 
He can do it all. And we do this in our own lives. We enter a point when we break those, we think we are it, don't we? We're all sufficient. And we live that way for decades. And it's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. Something happens to teach us this. Perhaps we lose our jobs. We use up all of our savings account. I mean, hurricane comes through in Florida, and after four days of no electricity, we're ready to kill people, right? We are completely dependent upon Florida power and light. We're not sufficient at all. And when you begin to realize, as you get older, maybe, in your middle years and middle age and retirement, oh, am I ready? You begin to get maybe filled with fear and anxiety or you've lost your job and you don't know what you're going to do next and you're filled with fear and anxiety and you realize, now I'm not sufficient at all. What am I going to do? This petition is important because it helps to remind us, recenter us. No, you've never been sufficient. You've always been living, whether you realized it or not, based upon the grace of God totally depended upon him. So you don't have to be afraid. And then later in this chapter, Jesus will say, why are you afraid and why do you worry about these things? Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all these things. In other words, people who don't have anything to do with the heavenly father need these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So how about you? You're his child. His attention is on you. You can come to him with your needs. You can depend upon him because he's the good, good father. So seek first the kingdom of God. Interestingly, that's what it means to delight in the Lord in Psalm 37. Seeking first the kingdom of God. In Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Bring your prayers and your supplications to the Lord with thanksgiving, and he will answer them and give you peace. This is what it means to delight in the Lord, to rejoice always in him, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and what's the reward? All these things will be added to you, your basic needs. As much as it's an illusion to think that we are self-sufficient physically, it's even a greater illusion to think that we are self-sufficient spiritually, as dependent as we are upon God for everything that we have and our physical realms to thrive in life. How much more are we dependent upon God in the spiritual realm? So let's not miss the implications of giving this day our daily bread, that asking for our daily bread draws our attention to the bread of life and our need to eat of him, to feast upon him so that we can have eternal life, so that we can be strengthened once we come into the family of God. He is how we come into the family of God, and he is how we are strengthened every day once we are in the family of God. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life, and he talks about if you want to have eternal life, if you want to have the forgiveness of your sins, if you want to be able to call out to God as dearest Father, if you want to be able to come to him in prayer, and bring the smallest to the greatest needs in your life, you have to first be his child. 
You have to come into the family of God. And how does that happen? It happens by trusting in Christ and receiving him as Savior, feasting upon him, relying upon him alone, saying, you're all I need and can take if I am to have life. You're the bread of life. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We eat to come into the family of God. And if you've never eaten, you need Christ. But if you're here and you're in the family of God, we eat every day, don't we? To live physically, we must eat every day. Feast on Christ, the bread of life depending upon him for strength. There is one final application I want to make this morning about why we should pray this petition faithfully. Give us this day our daily bread. You see, seeing God meet our daily needs, the little ones, the big ones, and everything in between, seeing God meet our daily needs, it makes us more aware of his presence in our lives. It makes us more aware of his power in our lives. And you know what that does? That leads to more praising and the hallowing of his name. Many years ago, there was a young man by the name of Johan. I'm gonna close with this story. He was attending a Christian college and, uh, in Germany. He was a German young man and his raised in a Christian home, but he was not a Christian. He was not a believer. He went to the Christian college because his parents made him. And while he was there, he spent his time carousing and doing what young men like to do. He went to church because he had to. He got enough ammunition in order to mock Christians. But one day on campus, some students invited him to a small group off campus to a Bible study. And through that small group, he saw Christ really maybe for the first time and was introduced to what Christianity is, and he became a believer. Not only did he become a believer, he became pretty zealous. And he decided, you know what? God doesn't want me to be a businessman like my dad wants me to be. And so he changed his major from business to theology and Bible. He says, God wants me to be a missionary. And when his dad found out about it, his dad cut him off, said, I will not pay your college tuition. Forget it. Johann was shocked, and so he was surprised, what do I do? He'd lived off the, the grace of his father all of his life, and so he did something he had never done. He's a new Christian. He got down on his knees, and he began to pray, and he says, Lord, I, I, I want to stay here. I want to be a missionary. I believe you want me to be a missionary. I need help with my tuition. He finishes praying, and about two hours later, he gets a knock on his dormitory door, and there stands one of his college professors, who says, hey, Johan, I'm in need of a, an aide that can tutor students who are struggling. It's a paid position. Would you be interested in that job? And Johan said, yeah. He works that job for the next about two and a half years. It pays for all of his college tuition. And that was the beginning of a walk with Johan. He goes to the mission field as a man of faith, praying, never asking for money, just praying seeing God provide miraculously. On the mission field, God does wonderful things through his life as the pastor of a church and as an evangelist. But one day, he's walking through his city and he sees the city is filled with children who are orphans. 
And he feels like God wants him to start an orphanage, but he doesn't have the money. The church doesn't have the money. He begins to pray. And God begins to mysteriously and in miraculous ways provide money. Um, over the 60 years that he will have orphanages, multiple, he'll end up opening up multiple orphanages. More than 10,000 children will come through and be raised in these orphanages. And get this, by, by our dollars today, you know, accounting for inflation, God will funnel half a billion dollars, $500 million through his hands for these orphanages and for the ministry. Well, one example of how God would do this and provide in different ways. One morning, the headmistress of the orphanage comes to Johan and says, we don't have food for the children. There's 300 children in the orphanage at this point, and we don't have food for the children, and we don't have money for the food. He tells her, get the children up, dress them for school, take them to the table. I'll be in there to say grace in a few moments. They go to empty tables. He begins to pray, tells the children, we don't have any food this morning. Let's pray. Let's thank God for our food, which we expect for him to provide. And he begins to pray. And as he says, amen, there is a knock on the door. And there's a baker in their city. And he tells Johan, I woke up in the middle of the night. God just seemed to impress on my heart that I should go bake a bunch of bread that maybe you guys needed food, and so I have a bunch of bread, and it was more than enough bread for all the children to have bread for breakfast. And they're rejoicing over the fact that they have bread, but then there was another knock as they, just as they're passing out the bread, and they open up the door, and there is a leather businessman. He, he was a dairy, you know, back in those days, they would carry the milk and the cheese around in wagons, and he said, sir, my, my wagon, my axle just broke. <laughs> And by the time we can repair it and get it all out here, all this milk is going to go bad. Could the orphans use this milk? And he said, yeah, we can use the milk. Just one of many requests. I'm talking about, of course, Johann George Mueller. He was a German Christian who came to England and ministered for decades you should read his biography. If you've never read his biography, it's a phenomenal biography. But what's even more phenomenal is his journal. He kept a journal through the years where he would record his prayer request and then how God met those prayer requests. And what's interesting is you'll see in this journal that he had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer in his journals. 30,000 of those requests were answered in the same day or even in the same hour that he prayed them. Think of that for a second. Let's think of those 30,000. That is 500 definite answers to prayer each year, more than one per day, every single day for 60 years. Do you think George Mueller had difficulty hallowing the name of God, God? Do you think he doubted that he was a dear, dear father? Give us this day our daily bread. May we come to our dear father with faith, believing that he desires to pour his grace in our hearts and in our lives through his son Jesus to meet the smallest of the greatest needs that we have.
true needs in order to thrive. Heavenly Father, would you make us those types of people who would pray consistently and passionately for those things that we need, not the desires of our flesh. And Lord, sometimes the things that we think we need are the consequences of our own sin and lack of stewardship or disobedience to your word. And so even as we pray for those things, open our eyes to how we put ourselves in this position of need, how we use your provision wrongly. Grow us up in this area as a people and as a church so that we may look back on our lives and be able to give you glory and hallow your name as great saints of old have been able to do and as we see in the life of our Savior Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen.